3: From the Berkshires to the sound. From wherever you live in MLB America, this is Inside the Parker. You give us 22 minutes and we'll give you the scoop on Major League Baseball. Now, here's Baseball Hall of Fame voter number 76, Rob Parker.
4: Welcome into the podcast. I'm your host, Rob Parker. What a show we have for you this week. We catch up with former Major League slugger David Justice... And author Evan Drellick, he has a new book. It's about that uh, cheating scandal that took place with the Houston Astros. We'll get into that and more. Let's go.
3: Better up. To lead off, it's getting robbed. And keep him up. Rob's hot take on the three biggest stories in Major League Baseball.
4: Number one. What a bad break for the Los Angeles Dodgers And 25-year-old shortstop Gavin Lux, who was injured in a spring training game, and instead of being the starting shortstop for the Dodgers after basically waiting behind other guys for three years, he is now out for the season after suffering a torn ACL and a sprained LCL in his right knee. So instead of being the uh, starting shortstop, uh, Miguel Rojas will get the bulk of it, also, the Dodgers are planning on bringing in Chris Taylor and Mookie Betts to contribute and help out in the infield. But it was definitely a huge blow. All of his teammates and everybody feels so bad to finally get your shot, to move to your natural position, and to make an impact for the Dodgers. And then you get hurt in one of the very first uh, a couple of spring training games, and that's it. You're out for the season. So bad break for the Dodgers. Um Bad break for Gavin Lux. Um, and hopefully he'll recover and be back next year. Number two. Manny Machado, he put it out there, said he was going to, uh, you know, opt out of his contract after this season. And guess what the San Diego Padres did? They said, no way, no how, are you leaving? Remember, Machado had a great year last year, finished second in the National League battle battling. For MVP, and instead, the Padres wasted no time signing Machado to a new 11 year contract extension reportedly worth $350 million. The Padres have nothing but money, apparently. I mean, they got loot, they got cheddar, they got shekels, whatever you want to call it. But uh, there it is, a eye popping $350 million contract extension, and I don't blame them. I mean, if you don't want to lose the six-time All-Star, uh, and you're still trying to win a World Series, and the team is loaded—Bogarts, uh, Soto, Darvish, Hader—you know—and then you're going to get Tatis back. You don't want to mess around, and uh, they obviously have the money. Don't forget, in the eleventh hour, they offered uh, Aaron Judge four hundred million dollars that he did not take. Uh, so uh, the Padres are serious. They decide to keep one of their own in the fold, make him happy, take the drama out of him, maybe opting out at the end of the year, and he's happy and it's fixed cost. I mean, it sounds crazy, three hundred and fifty million for eleven years, but if you go three, four, five years from now and Machado's making what, thirty two, less than thirty two million dollars a year when you average it out, it ain't that bad, to be honest. Think about this. Shohei Otani is gonna get a minimum. A minimum, uh, when they start bidding for him, of 10 years, $500 So the Padres, I think, did the right thing. They locked up Manny Machado, and they're going to get Tatis back and the moves that they made. They're going to win the NL West. I'm sorry, Dodger fans. They are. Number three. And, of course, with the start of spring training games, we have the new rules. We're not even going to worry about the big bases uh, that look like pizza boxes. They went from 15 inches to 18 inches. If they cut out injuries and people getting stepped on and all that, I'm I'm for that. I don't, the bases don't bother me. Uh, and I love that there is no more shift. I absolutely love that because it's taking away hits from guys. You hit the ball straight up the middle and there's a third baseman or somebody standing right there taking away hits. We haven't had enough – uh, action on the base pass with guys getting on, stealing bases, doing stuff like that. So I'm happy uh, about the shift. You can still shift guys, but you can't have four or five guys on one side. Only two guys from the infield on the same side of the bag. I love it. I think this will open up the game, give us some more action. So I'm there. And then finally, the pitch clock. And I know some games have been quicker in the spring training. Everybody's getting – all juiced up. Spring training is a little different. Guys getting their hacks in. They're not taking as many pitches as you would in a regular season game. So I'm not so sure how much time is going to cut off um, the the top, the length of the games. Uh, Max Scherzer, the Mets ace, he loves it. He thinks that it gives the pitcher uh, control of the game where they can pace, uh, pitch the game at their pace because people are waiting on them. And the guy's got to get in a box and all kinds of stuff. So I, I'm just, I'm not so sure who that rule is for. Is it for guys and people, fans who don't like baseball? When I go to a ball game, I'm expecting three hours. If it goes on longer, I get in my car, drive home, and listen to the rest on the radio. So I'm never bothered by the length of the game, but we'll see. Um, we did see a game where uh, Manny Machado got called out and the game wound up being a tie because he uh, called out on on not uh, with a strike because he wasn't in the box in time. I'm not so sure fans are going to like that. Uh, another game was lost because of uh, the the infraction. So I think fans are going to have to get used to it. Players will too, and we'll see how this works. I mean, we'll see. Some people are giving it rave reviews to start. I want to see what it looks like in the regular season. And uh, then I can make a decision. I'm open. I, I wasn't in for the uh, interle- all the interleague play. I wasn't in for, uh, you know, the wild cards and, and playoffs and all that. And a lot of those things have worked out. But we'll see with the pitch clock. Baseball, two out of three ain't bad, so we'll see.
2: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity Presents...
3: Here comes the big interview. Listen and learn.
4: Oh, it's so good. All right, now let's welcome into the podcast David Justice, who, of course, won two World Series. The Slugger hit 305 career home runs. And uh, is in the Atlanta Braves Hall of Fame. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you.
5: Rob, Rob, I've been looking forward to this, brother. No about doubt. time you thought about your boy. Man, we go back 30 years. We sure and do. You just
4: now want to bring me on. Man, yes. I don't, you see your saltiness <laughs> in my voice. Damn, right. We're going to have but, some fun. Uh, a couple of things we're going to do. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the new rule changes in baseball and how that goes. And also, we're going to do a David Justice This Is Your Life. So let's start with the new rule changes in baseball. Uh, you know, the bases, the pitch clock, and the shift. Just give me your thoughts on these changes that the game is trying to speed things up, trying to to capture the attentions of some of the younger and newer fans. Which rules do you like? Which ones don't you?
5: Well, again, if you look at it, Major League Baseball has, has reached out to its fans, and it said, hey, let us know your feelings about the game, and the fans have responded. There's a lot of money in the game, Rob. That's why I see the bases being bigger, because no fan wants to come to a game and not see the best players on the field. So where we can minimize injuries, that gives us a greater opportunity to have our best players play more games. So the base, I understand. In terms of the defensive positioning, I'm with that too, because I think the fans realize that it's, it's become too gimmicky too gimmicky. It's too, I don't want to see four guys on one side and you know what I mean, and, and a right fielder against the wall.
4: And, and do you want to see your big hitters, right, that slap the ball the other way? I want and, them to uh, swing, am
5: there, I right? And there you go, because like I said it to you earlier, if you would have put that shift on me, I would have just hit one over here to the left field. But then as a fan, do you want to see no, that? No, I want David Justice right? to leave the swinging? ballpark. Hey, just like Eddie Murray, my rookie year, we playing Dodger Stadium, Rob. That third baseman was back, I laid down a bunt. Easily safe at first base. Eddie Murray comes up to me. I'm all happy. Beautiful day in L.A. He said, "Hey Rook, you see all these people in the stands?" Rob, I'm looking around. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I see around. it. He goes, "Do you think anybody paid to come see you bunt today?" Oh. He had a great point. He did. If you paid your money that day, and, and David Justice, even though I'm in Dodger Stadium bunts, you're like, man, hey, nah, man, come on, man. swing the bat. I want to see you exactly. swing the bat. So the fans said, listen, let's get back to the traditional way that the game was always played, and let's go back to playing that way. We'd rather see it that way. And then in terms of the timing uh, uh, of the pitch clock and all that. So,
4: what about that? Max Scherzer from the Mets said that it, 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 it gives is an, an advantage. advantage to the pitcher. Absolutely. Because they can set the pace of the game. So, you the, agree that, with him. that?
5: Absolutely. Uh, they always tell the pitchers to try to control. They always tell the pitchers to try to control the pace of the game. So now this is an advantage for the pitcher. And like I was telling you earlier, there's a lot of cat and mouse in the game, Rob. There's time in between pitches I need to take in order to think about the situation and what he might throw me. That time has been shortened now. I got to think a little quicker if I'm that type of guy. Now, so
4: Here's another one it hasn't taken effect, but they're trying it in the minor leagues. The robot umpire calling balls and strikes. Are you with that? Here's why I'm, I'm, I'm a little against it. Because, you know, you get respect on pitches when you play in the game. The umpire knows, hey, Dave's a good hitter. He You know, sometimes they'll give you a pitch that's close. Now, if you're a big-time hitter, you get up, and they're calling you out on a pitch, you know, to end the game or end the World Series or end the playoffs, do you really want them to go down like that? Or Do you know what I mean? Like that's... I
5: don't want... It to be a machine back there doing it. I don't want that. What I would like to see, what More I think, consistency? what I would like to see, what I think we've seen is just better umpiring. These young guys coming up, I watch, they're doing a much better job of calling balls and strikes than they did when I played. Absolutely, because they were
4: all over the place. And of, I get that, and everybody had the their own. Strike and and zone. that ain't that ain't fair though, because I
5: remember playing in play. I remember playing in Boston, and uh, Pedro Martinez on on. They giving him. This much off the outside part of the plate. That's unfair. I'm, I'm like, hey, he don't need no help. He Throwing 95-96 with that nasty, nasty change-up, nasty breaking ball, and 95-96, not even on the corners, Rob. He outside the corners, but you're giving it to him because he's Pedro. He don't need any help. So uh, I, we all, of course, all of us are better as we're retired each year. I'm retired. I'm a better player, of course. Of course. And uh, But if we had that quest tech, we had that box when I played, I'd have been a much better hitter.
4: Our guest is David Justice, former Atlanta Brave, New York Yankee, Cleveland Indian, Oakland A. Did I get all the teams That's right? All of them. Yeah. All right, and this we're gonna have the portion of this interview where we do David Justice. This is your life. What was your greatest moment in Major League Baseball, Dave?
5: Well, greatest individual moment, and obviously a great moment for our organization, was hitting a home run uh, and having that run be the only run to account. Uh, for all the scoring in the game. Game 6, 1995. I mean, as a kid growing up, think about it, when, when mama rings the bell and says, hey, time for dinner. Right. And you got one more swing, and you got you and your boy outside in the back playing, playing with a rubber ball you against You know that. Oh, against, yeah, against, against the, the house. Right, uh, we, had, we had a big old giant dumpster. and We played. It's, it's always bases loaded. It's always bases loaded on that same pitch. Right. And it's always the World Series. So to have it happen in real life is, is very special.
4: How about your career? When when did you know you had a chance to be a big leaguer? You know, everybody plays. Dave, I wanted to f- play first base for the Mets growing up in Queens, right? That's what I wanted to do. And then when I realized I was no good, I became a sports writer. And I thought, okay, I want to do that. Yeah. But when did you know? Were you in high school? Were you at some point you're like, I see this is coming in like a beach ball and I can hit it. When did you know? See, you Rob, could, you could Rob make I it?
5: didn't play high school baseball. That's crazy.
4: How did I you get I was a you?
5: basketball player. That's crazy. I, I a lefty? To,
4: could you shoot?
5: I, yeah, I, I averaged twenty six and a half points game my senior year in high school. I was leading score in Northern Kentucky my senior year in high school, uh, but I was only fifteen. Remember, Rob, I never went to middle school. That's right. I, I never went to seventh or eighth grade. So I was twelve my freshman year in high school. That's crazy. So as a fifteen year old senior, the only school would give me a full ride for basketball was Thomas More College, It's Thomas More University now. And I went there, and to give you the shortest version I can give you, uh, first day of conditioning, they made us run like cross country runners, like no basketball in hand, just run three miles. I came in last place, holding my side. Rob, I can't do this. I was like, I can't do this. I can't do the long distance running. I looked over the hill. The baseball team was practicing. I said, Well, I did play little league my whole life, so if I go play baseball. I can get out of this running for basketball.
4: Are you serious? I, and went, that's
5: how- I went to go play baseball, but I still was on a basketball scholarship. So while they're running across country, I'm playing fall baseball. And then fall baseball segues right into basketball. Now we're in the gym. Now I can run all day in a basketball gym, all day, but I'm not a cross-country runner. And me making that move to go play baseball to get out of running led the Atlanta Braves scout to see me play put on a show against Xavier University in my draft year. I was on nobody's radar, Rob. So
4: what'd you do? What, what'd what you do in that game that got there? Did you I
5: hit? had two. I had My first at bat, I hit a home run over the sports complex in right field at Xavier University. My third at bat, I come up. They bring a, a lefty in to face me. Bases loaded. First pitch out his hand. I take him over the sports complex. What? I'm 6'3", 195, 18 years old. Brave scout sees me and says, who the hell is this kid? Right. Who I'm, is this? I, I don't, I don't, I'm not doing anything to be seen. Well, they told him my story, and he looked at me and said, wait a minute. This kid's 18 years old, a junior in college. This is 1985, February 1985. The Braves draft me in June of 1985. I was the 95th overall pick in the fourth round. Well, As an 18-year-old. And, and I turned 19 right before the draft. And out I think the Braves had thirty picks that year. Out of the thirty picks, only two of us made it to the big leagues. Wow. Me and me and Tommy Green from Whiteville, North Carolina.
4: Unbelievable. Here's another one. You uh, this is we're doing a little David Justice, this is your life. Um best or, or coolest teammate that you played with. You play with a lot of great players. <laughs> who did you who did you bond with?
5: So uh uh, let's go with teams then. I would say. Yeah, give me with, one with, on every with, team. Right, right. Well, so with the Atlanta Braves, I would say Marquise Grissom is my man. Always. Great fielder, man. Center fielder, man. great dude, great friend. Just that's my man. Uh, Cleveland, I would have to say Manny, Man Ram. Manny Ramirez. That's my man, bro. I love Manny. Uh, and then I would say with the Yankees. With the Yankees, it's the group. Me, Jeter, Posada, and Tino Martinez. Yep. We were always doing something with each other, you know what I mean? Where it was some laughter or something. And then with Oakland, by the time I got to Oakland, it's my last year, I'm like everybody's uncle on the team. You know what I mean? Like sure, I'm, sure. I'm, you know, I'm like the hall monitor. I'm, you know, so uh, that team I really didn't hang around. But I would say Jermaine Dye and, and a young Terrence Long, Long, a young Eric Chavez, those are my three young guys that I used to hang around with.
4: And last thing. You won two World Series. Of course, the one in Atlanta. That's mm-hmm. the team you were drafted and all that, you know. But just talk about winning in New York and how well, people responded to you. And the Yankees beat the Mets in the Subway Series.
5: First of all, you can't win on a higher stage than New York. I truly believe that, especially in the game of baseball. It's The media presence is 10, 20 times more than any other city. And the greatest fans, knowledgeable fans, as big boy baseball rob. If you can make it and play it in New York, You can play anywhere.
4: All right. David Justice, man, we appreciate the knowledge, appreciate the time. My man, thanks for joining the podcast.
2: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City.
1: When Rob was a newspaper columnist, he lived by this motto. If I'm writing,
3: I'm ripping. Let's bring in a writer or broadcaster, old or new.
4: All right, now let's welcome into the podcast Evan Drellick. He's a senior writer for The Athletic and author of the new book, Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess. Evan, welcome to the podcast. How are you, buddy? I'm doing good,
6: Rob. Thanks for having me.
4: Yeah, interesting book. Of course, you're the guy who broke that big Houston Astros cheating scandal. And uh, tell us about the book and how, I guess, guys trying to be too smart went awry. Is that what happened with the Astros?
6: Yeah, that's probably a decent summation. The, the book is really telling people, how do we get here? How do we get to a point where you have... Such a massive scandal. You've got four people fired three managers, Cora, Hinch, and Beltron, the general manager, Jeff Luno. But there was other stuff too. There was the assistant general manager who got fired in 19 when he was drunkenly yelling in the clubhouse, a guy named Brandon Taubman. Um, I had covered the Astros, and I, I was really the first to report about questions about their culture now going back nine years. And I, I knew that it wasn't happenstance, that it wasn't just a funny coincidence that you know, Houston would be the team that ends up in the middle of such a big scandal.
4: How about, I mean, you know, a lot of fans, of course, were, were uh, you know, taken aback by it at how entailed it was or detailed and the stuff that they – that the lengths uh, that they went to to cheat and then you go back to that 2017 season – and just look at some of the stuff. Uh, the one thing that I think jumps out the most to me was the Altuve with the jersey when he, you know, he doesn't want his jersey ripped off, and you get the feeling like he was wearing a buzzer. Were we able ever to find out what was going on there, and and did he have something attached to his body?
6: So my reporting in the book does not show that Altuve had a buzzer. He's always denied it. Carlos Correa went uh, public with Ken Rosenthal and gave a lengthy explanation as to what he think happened. Said he thought that uh, Altuve a just didn't want his shirt ripped off because his wife had been mad about it in the past, and apparently there was a tattoo that wasn't very good. But look, there's no question it was shady. It was weird that the guy hits a a, a pennant clinching home run off uh, Chapman, and, right. and he's going to the World Series, and he, and he runs right in, and he changes the jersey. It's odd. It's, it, it, it's not what you would normally expect for your, your head to be at at that moment, but no, the, the book does not show that they were doing that. The fact that people can wonder about it, though, you know, that, that's on the Astros. That's on the fact that they opened the door to the imagination here, and there is a funny thing in the book when, when I get to the part where we're talking about this, this buzzer theory or conspiracy theory. Um, the Astros actually did use little electric shocks uh, not uh, in stealing signs, but in trying to measure people's fast-twitch muscles. Mm. So you, you, there's a way to measure uh, people's you know, muscle capability if, if you shock them gently. So there is kind of a funny irony there that the Astros were actually electrocuting people in a very gentle sense, um, right. separate of, of
4: cheating. So crazy. All right, Evan Drellick is our guest senior writer from The Athletic. He has a new book out. Here's the other part. Uh, When we talk about cheating in teams, obviously you have the Patriots in the NFL. Uh, And for whatever reason, that league, guys, you know, do juice, get suspended for four games, come back and win, you know, awards. And nobody seems to be bothered. And the the Patriots have cheated and been busted and – and, and not just like, the the. if we go to Spygate and then there's Deflategate, but then uh, Josh McDaniels uh, did the same thing, right, when he was with the uh, Denver Broncos. Then there was another scandal in Cincinnati where they sent the film crew to get uh, signals from the new coach there in Cincinnati. Um, why do you think people look at it so differently between the two sports? Yeah, that's an
6: interesting, and it kind of, long-standing question, you know, why do people have this kind of reverence for baseball? And, um, you know, it it might just go back to that it's America's pastime stuff, you know, that that sense that this is, uh, you know, part of American culture. And look, obviously the NFL is, I mean, even Major League Baseball will admit that football is the number one sport in the country at this point. But I think that's got to be it. It's that people have this, old idealistic vision for baseball and, and what it's supposed to be that, that football just doesn't have applied to it. Um, it's, you know, it's like a good question for a sociologist. It's, it's probably above my pay grade, but I agree with you. There is a difference in how people look at it.
4: No doubt. How much is the, going back to the baseball in your book and the Astros, but how much cheating is going on? The Red Sox were uh, rumored to be involved in something. They didn't have the stiff, Penalty that uh, Boston had. Uh, there was a, a buzz about the Yankees, and some the commissioner kind of looked the other way. H- how commonplace is this? Are the Astros just got busted, or or did they take it further than most teams? And how much cheating is really going on?
6: It's a little bit of all of what you just said. So MLB back in 2014 expands replay in the sport. Right now you can challenge um, when they do that. They they give every team a video room. And the commissioner, uh, who takes over in 2015, Rob Manfred, you know he had been the point person for MLB during PEDs. He should have known, and people at the commissioner's office should have known that. Like, yeah, when we give people these new video tools and we sanction access to different video feeds, guess what? These hyper-competitive players are going to do. They're going to try to use it to their advantage. So, what you start having teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox doing, basically right away, is somebody goes in the video room. They got all the live feeds right there. Somebody decodes the signs, and they get that information to the dugout. But then when a runner's on second base, you know, he, he's still using his eyes to look in at the catcher, but he knows the code. He knows exactly what the sign sequence is. And you know, that's cheating. The MLB was slow to realize this. And, and when you get to 2017, the Astros, they have people who come from outside Carl Speltron had been with the Yankees and they're like, you know, other teams are doing this. We can do it better. We can take it to the next step, or depending on how you want to look at it, several steps above. They got rid of the runner entirely. The whole thing was off the field. It was center field camera, to a television monitor, right behind the dugout and tunnel. And you didn't need a runner on base. You could communicate on any pitch. In general, in baseball, people look at that as more egregious or considerably more egregious than what the Yankees, the Red Sox, my book shows the Dodgers were doing. You can have a debate. Should any uh, cheating be considered equal you know, does it matter if you break the rules a little bit or a lot of it. That's a separate debate in general. The consensus is, yeah, the Astros took it to an extreme.
4: It just seems like, yeah, with the banging of the trash cans. And I can remember playing video, you know, replaying videos on YouTube and I could hear the cans. I mean, it wasn't like that was probably the most shocking thing that I could actually, you know, hear it uh, once it was pointed out. Uh, last thing. Why should we get your book? Tell tell me what we'll leave uh, after reading your book. What will we get from it uh, that will enlighten us?
6: Yeah, I don't think people get under the hood of what actually goes on in front offices, uh, particularly in the modern day, the way this book does. You know, th- there's a lot of myth spinning for a lot of years. People were sitting there, and, uh, you know, anytime a team wins, you just write a book about how great they are, right? And they won a championship, so, so gee, they must be great. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that gets overlooked and missed here, and, and I think people reading the book will, a, come away with understanding how this sport has evolved after Moneyball and all the analytics that have come into it, and b, you know, why it wasn't an accident, why it wasn't a coincidence that all this stuff goes down in Houston. It, it's 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 really um, different than what you previously understood about the Astros and I think baseball in general.
4: I love it. I definitely want to read it. Evan Drelick, uh, we appreciate you. Senior writer for The Athletic and his new book, Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess. It's in stores now. Check it. Go online. Get the book. Uh, appreciate your time, and best of luck to you. Thanks, Rob.
3: Now bring in the closer. Track one. Track two. Track two. Here's why MLB is better than the NFL or NBA. And it isn't even close.
4: Reason number 555 why Major League Baseball is better than the NBA, better than the NFL, is because when they have these kind of, uh, like the World Baseball Classics or when, you know, uh, NBA players go play in uh, the Olympics or whatever, um... I think the way baseball does it is best because it really doesn't affect the product. I think in basketball, you wind up, you know, guys are tired because they've played all these extra games. I think that that affects them. In baseball, it's a part of the spring training procedure. Guys are getting their work in still for their teams. They're playing uh, for their countries. And fans aren't, you know, aren't – bothered by it because it's just natural and the time of the year it is it's not like playing an event uh, during the baseball season we see in the NHL where they will play during the Olympics and stop the NHL season so that people who are playing in the Olympics can play this one is less intrusive the World Baseball Classic because it's during spring training players will be ready to play come the regular season and that's what's important so I think that uh, baseball fans can see their favorite teams play for their you know, respective countries, but not have it interfere with their season and their players being prepared when the regular season starts. And I think that's pretty awesome. In the words of New York TV legend, the late Bill Jorgensen, thanking you for your time this time until next time. Rob Parker, out. He can't get it. This could be an inside to Parker. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad
2: station. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.